0: Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Hi, I'm Andy and I'm one of the pastors at Salt. And I don't know a lot about American football, but I know that if I had managed to run the whole field... (laughs) Dodging every other player. I want to make sure the goal actually counted. Uh, we saw that guy. He celebrated too early, threw the ball in the air before he crossed the line. And it didn't count. It didn't count. And uh, his team, the, all the fans were booing him. I like what the commentator said. It's cool to have the ball in your hands as you cross the goal line. Uh, it's embarrassing. I can imagine him, though, in the future, talking to future uh, quarterbacks. And urging them, don't make that same mistake. You know, if you ever get in this situation, hold on to the ball, cross over the line, don't throw it up in the air. And the passage we're looking at tonight is a similar kind of passage. Uh, It's a warning. Because Moses drops the ball. Moses dropped the ball. He made it the whole way. Trusting God for so many years... And then he stopped trusting God at the very end, dropped the ball, and he's not going to get into the promised land. He's not going to get there. It's tragic. And this passage, Moses is urging God's people, don't make the same mistake. Don't drop the ball. You're almost there. Keep going, Israel. Keep going. Now, If you've got that passage open, Deuteronomy chapter 4, we're going to be working our way through this book. We've been, the past couple of weeks, we've been working through Deuteronomy. Have a look at verse 21. Moses says, The Lord was angry with me because of you, and he solemnly swore that I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land your God was giving you as your inheritance. I will die in this land. I will not cross the Jordan, but you are about to cross over and take possession of that good land. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he's made with you. Do not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. The Lord your God has forbidden, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. So Moses is not going to get into the promised land, but he wants to make sure that Israel will. So that's what we've got here, a warning, an encouragement. He doesn't want them to drop the ball. Instead, he wants them to follow God and he wants them to have a good life, the good life that God's promised them in the promised land. So we're going to see as we look through this passage what that good life is and how we can make sure that we don't drop the ball as we follow our God too. So how about I pray for us, and uh, we'll we'll jump in. Our Lord God, we, we thank you that we can know you, that you are not distant, but that you speak to us by your word. We pray that you would be speaking to us now by your spirit. Help us to understand more about what it looks like to follow you. Help us to love you more. Amen. Well, we see a few things. The first thing we see in the passage is that listening to God's word leads to life. Listening to God's word leads to life. Have a look at verse 1, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Moses says this, Now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go well, uh, sorry, may go in and take possession of the land of the Lord, the God of your ancestors is giving you. So this is the land that Israel have been looking forward to getting into for decades. And they're finally here. They're on the edge of the land. They're ready to go in, ready to take it. They're excited. It's going to be amazing. But it's crucial that Israel follows God so that they can receive it. So Moses is giving them this speech before they go in. They need to follow God's laws and they need to follow God's commands that he's giving them. And then the next verse tells a bit more about how to do that. Verse 2. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it. But keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. So the people are warned, don't make any changes to God's law. God's word is perfect the way it is. Doesn't need any changes to it. Don't take things away. Don't add to it. Just follow God the way that he wants to be followed. A good life looks like following God the way he wants to be followed. And if they can do that, then God's going to give them this land that they're going to get to live in. But there's a warning. Verse 3, there's a warning. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. So Moses is referring back to an event that happened a few years earlier in Israel's history um, with the Baal of Peor. Uh, God's people had started worshipping the god of a neighbouring country, uh, the city, Peor, or the region, uh, and the Baal, the god of that area, was probably a fertility god, and you can read about it in Numbers chapter 25. Uh, And back then, the way that you would worship a fertility god was for a man to visit uh, the temple of this fertility god, which was pretty much just a prostitute house, And uh, the the priestesses were prostitutes and you would worship the God by sleeping with the prostitutes uh, of that God and that somehow would make the God happy and do your thing and then you'd go home. And uh, that was it. Sex was worship, worshiping their God. Pretty gross, pretty yuck. Uh, But that's how the nations around Israel would worship some of their gods. And what happened was the Israelite men started going off to visit these temple prostitutes and and worship these other gods. And God understandably hated it. He hated that practice. And he sent a plague. A plague struck the people, possibly an STD, we're not told. But 24,000 people died. Uh, It says anyone who followed the God of Peor died. Horrific. But anyone who was faithful to God survived. And so Moses reminds the people don't disobey God, because disobedience leads to death. Disobedience leads to death. Instead, follow God because obedience leads to life. That's the warning. But there's positive consequences as well for following God's, people, God's commands too, for his people. Uh, firstly, have a look at verse five. We're told that Israel would be a light. To the other nations. It says, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe these commandments carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about these decrees, and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So by following God's commands, Israel will not just take possession of the land, but the other nations around them are going to look in and see and be impressed by how they're living, that they're living differently because God's commands are good. Living God's way is good. It makes you stand out. It's attractive for those around. It's a, a unique set of laws that they were given. It was different to all the other kind of laws that the countries around them had. There was wisdom that could be seen. It was a good way to live. God's law is a good and precious gift from God. So other nations could look in and see, but also them obeying God's law showed that God was with them. Verse 7 says, What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them, the way our Lord is, uh, the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today. So Israel can speak to God in prayer. And God speaks to his people as, as they hear his word. So this incredible two-way relationship. It shows that God is near them. He's not distant. He's not distant. He's not apathetic. To Israel, he's not like the other gods of the nations, the other Baal gods and different things who only notice you if you make some sort of grand sacrifice or big gesture or you try and get their attention somehow. God's near his people. They can pray to him anytime, he says. They can speak to him in prayer. And so Moses reminds the people how how lucky they are to have righteous decrees and laws like this. This tells us probably something we may not think about, that God's laws, his commands are good. They were God's good instructions for how to live, and instructions for how to have a good life in this land. Uh, And we can kind of think of God, particularly as Christians, we can kind of think of God's laws in the Old Testament as kind of a failed plan A. Didn't really work, so then God had to send Jesus, and now we're saved through that. And if you know the 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 law is not that good. But we're told God's laws are good, and you' read in the Psalms, King David sings a number of times how much he delights in God's laws, God's commands, that God's laws are good, and they reveal God's character. So by them, you get to know God better. and they provide a framework for a good life. And God's commands in the Old Testament, they're not a failed plan A. In fact, that's how we're saved. We are saved through God's laws, obedience to God's laws. You might be thinking, is that true? <laughs> uh, we're not saved by following the law. No one could keep the law. We're saved by trusting Jesus. And yes, we, we are saved by trusting Jesus, but only because Jesus was fully obedient to that law, to God's laws. The Old Testament law wasn't a failed attempt by God and then he had to send Jesus as a plan B. This is the plan all along. In fact, Jesus comes to fulfill the law. It's an extension of the plan. It's all the same plan. Jesus comes and he lives God's way perfectly. We don't live God's way. We're sinful, but he never sinned. Jesus never sinned. He never disobeyed God. He earns the eternal life that God has promised because he kept God's commands. And yet, Jesus does a swap. He does a swap. Because of his love for us, Jesus takes our sin and our disobedience upon himself. Jesus becomes sin for us. He takes the judgment that we deserve on himself. And he gives us instead his perfect record, his record of full obedience to God's law. So that anyone who follows him is then seen as having been obedient. And the Bible describes Christians as in Christ, we're united to him. So when God looks at us, those who trust Jesus, he sees Jesus' 100% faithfulness and his full obedience to his law. And so we're saved through obedience to God's law. It's not our obedience, we're saved through Jesus' obedience to God's law. God's law is so good. And God welcomes us into his promised kingdom through Jesus and eternal life and his glorious new creation through trusting what Jesus has done. God's law is good. Listening to God's word, his law brings life. it's like those signs of the beach. Um, You see them at the, there's a few around the place. This is one at Bondi, but they're everywhere. And... Uh, I think that one of the ones locally, uh, it hasn't been like six different languages for any tourists that come along. Because they, this, they think, is really important to know. Swim between the flags, uh, watch for grips, don't dive headfirst onto the sand, I guess that's important. Uh, no dogs. <laughs> um, these things are important. But they, you can look at this and go, oh, that's kind of restrictive, I just want to have fun at the beach, don't give me a bunch of... Like, that's, ah, rules. But actually, if you want to have fun at the beach, these are the things to do, right? Swim between the flags, you know, don't dive on your head, all those things. And you get to have a good time at the beach and get to go home. That's good. And following these laws, these rules, actually help make things better. They're for our good. That's why they're in six different languages, so that the tourists can have a fun time as well, and not die. And following God's, God's commands are good for his people. Listening to God's word brings life. That's the first thing we see. Listening to God's word brings life, a good life. And the second thing we see is that worshipping God correctly leads to life. Israel have encountered God. They're reminded of this. Forty years before, Israel stood around Mount Horeb or, or Mount Sinai as Moses went up to get the law from God. Including the Ten Commandments, but more than that, a whole system of living uh, that, that God's people were to follow. And when God appears, the mountain shook, there was a large fire, a big, loud voice, and the people were really terrified at this experience. But they didn't see a body. They didn't see a body. They didn't see God's body. They didn't see God's body, but He spoke to them and they heard His voice. So they know that God doesn't have a body. So he warns them in verse 15, don't try and give him a body. Don't try and change God in any way. You've seen God, worship him the way you've seen him or you've experienced God. Uh, Have a look at verse 15. He says, you saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire Therefore, watch yourself very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourself an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman or like any animal on earth or any bird that flies in the air or like any creature that moves along the ground or any fish in the waters below. Now, it seems pretty clear. God doesn't have a body, so don't try and make an idol or a body for him. Now, while every other God around has a visible statue or an idol or something you can see and bow down to god doesn't god isn't like those other gods he's not restricted like that don't try and change god don't change him to how you want him to be it's pretty I feel like yep pretty straightforward i don't know if you need to tell us that moses and yet <laughs> he does need to tell them that because they've done this exact thing earlier and moses saw them do it while he was up there getting the 10 commandments up the mountain uh, God's people, he was taking a while. They thought, you know what we need? We need to make God a body. So ladies, give us your rings, your earrings, men, your earrings as well. Everyone wore earrings. Uh, let's smelt all that gold together and let's make, let's make God. I think God looks like a cow. So let's make a cow and this is what they said. This is the Lord who brought us out of Egypt. Yay, we can finally hear he's a cow. <laughs> That's weird, isn't it? That's what they did. That's what they did. And, and, and then Moses come, came down and saw Israel bowing down to this cow, pretending it was God. And he was so angry, he smashed the Ten Commandments and had to go back up the mountain and get more. Uh, how dumb. <laughs> Why would you bow down to something that you made yourself? Like, you know, that was, used to be your earring that you're bowing down to. What are you doing? We aren't likely to do that, though, are we? He needs to warn Israel, they've done this before, but I feel like we're not going to do that. We aren't likely to make a cow and worship it as God. But I think we do change God in other ways. We, do, we are tempted to do pretty much the same thing. But in other ways, we try and change God into what we think he should be. We say things like, oh, I like to think of God like... or... I'm sure God would be fine with me doing this thing that I really want to do, even though the Bible says I shouldn't do it. I'm sure God's fine with it. We kind of take who, we, take who God is and change it to fit what we think God should be like. But we can know God from the Bible, so don't come up with your own version of who God is. Israel experienced God, and we can know God as well. Don't twist God into something else, trying to change who he is. He showed himself to Israel. He showed himself to us in Jesus. And he's told us how to live. And so we need to follow that. Worshipping God correctly leads to life. Don't try and change who God is. As as well as worshipping our God correctly, we need to be careful that we don't worship other gods as well. That's the next thing. Worshipping God only. Leads to life. Have a look at verse 19. That's the next thing Moses tells us. He says, When you look up in the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshipping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. So Moses says he not to worship the sun or the moon and the stars. What does it mean, though? What does it mean to worship Something. Is it just bowing down? Well, worship is when you give something its worth worthiness, worthship. Uh, it's to give something honour <clears throat> or to revere something. Um, here's my definition Worship is valuing or treasuring something above all else. So it could be bowing down to a statue, but it could be something else entirely. They could be bowing down to some part of creation. But I think for us today, we're not tempted to bow down to the sun and worship the sun or worship the sun God. Um, But it is pretty common nowadays for people to worship creation in other ways. People talk about uh, praying to the universe. Um or the idea that God is all around us, God is in everything, God is in creation and nature and we can experience God in that way. That's, that's effectively the same thing. And so you end up worshipping something that God has made rather than God himself. And, and it's offensive to God because those things, the things that we have, the things in our world, nature, creation, all the things that we've got, they're good gifts. They're good things that God has given us and yet we take them and ignore God and focus on the good gift. It's like if I buy my kids ice cream up at Gelatissimo and um, double scoops, two scoops each. Um, and um, we get out and they give them the ice creams and they take them and they say, Thank you, ice cream, that you're in my life. And then they walk off. I'm like, I paid $40 for that ice cream. <laughs> two scoops. thank me, don't thank the ice cream. Worshipping the things that God has made, it doesn't really make sense. It's offensive to God because it takes what is rightfully his. He alone should be worshipped, not the things that he's made. He hates it when we worship other things. But again, that might not be us today. We might not be tempted to worship creation in that way. And yet I think when we think about it, we probably are actually tempted to worship creation. I think all of us, all of us fall into the trap of worshiping something that God has made. I reckon the thing that we worship most is the thing that you saw in the mirror this morning when you woke up. I think it's ourselves. I think we so often fall into worshiping ourselves. Self-idolatry. Self-worship. I read an article recently that suggested that self-worship is the fastest growing religion in the US. And uh, it's not the kind of thing you ever get on a census form. What's your religion? I worship myself. (laughs) You never admit to it out loud, but when you look at the data, you do get some indications that actually the choices people make do show that people seem to worship themselves. It's pretty clear. Uh, In a survey they did in the USA, and I think it's pretty similar in Australia, they found the following. They found that 84% 84% of people believed that enjoying yourself is the highest goal of life. Enjoying yourself is the highest goal of life. You might know people like that. That's the purpose of life, to meet my needs, make myself happy. And how do you do that? Well, 86% of people said that to enjoy yourself, you've got to pursue the things that you desire most. So what is the thing that you want in life? That You go get it. That's That's yours. That's what life's about. Work out what you want and get it. That's, that's pretty clear. But I think what that ends up being really is a form of self-worship. We're worshipping ourselves. The things that we want is the highest priority in our life. We value ourselves very highly. and We value the things that we want. We're very keen to have our own desires met pretty much at any cost. That's my purpose in life. So if worship is valuing or treasuring something above everything else, then most Australians, I think, worship themselves. And it's a trap that we can fall into easily, especially as Christians. And it can look like a hundred different things, worshipping self-idolatry, worshipping yourself. It could look like a successful career. That's the thing I'm going to pursue. Uh, Or friendships and relationships. That is the most important thing. Or shopping just takes up so much of your mind. Or you're always browsing, looking for things online, ordering things. Or how you look, that's the most important thing. Or marriage is the most important thing, whether you're married or not. Owning a beautifully styled house. What other people think of you, family. All these things, there's heaps of things. Lots of different ways that we can end up falling into Focusing on ourselves, rather than focusing on God. One way to work out what your idol is is to think, where do I put my hopes and dreams when I'm dreaming about what my life could be? What are the things I focus in on? Or here's a question. How would you answer this question? I'll be happy with my life when blank. I'll be happy with my life when what? Because that thing could be your idol that could be your idol and the problem with worshiping creation or worshiping ourselves is that we and the things God has made were not meant to be things of worship they're good things they're good things the things that we all those things I've listed off they're not bad in themselves but they're good things from God we shouldn't take his gifts and worship them instead those things are not God we are not God God is God. He alone is God. He alone is the one who should be worshipped as God. And so Moses' warning for Israel is a warning for us as well. Don't worship the things that God has made. Worship God alone. That's what the good life looks like. So what do we do, though? What do we do when we feel tempted to worship other things? Because I feel that a lot of the time. What do we do? What do you do when you realise you're not really maybe worshipping God the way you should? I think it's helpful to realise that often it comes from a place of discontent. But often we want something because we don't feel like we have everything we need. So I want a nice house because I feel like the current house God's given me is not enough and so I need to pursue a nice house or whatever it is. We're not content, we're not content with our jobs, the, the jobs that God has given us. Uh, we're, not, we're not content with how God's made our bodies or we're not happy with how much money we have. Those things can come from a lack of trust that God knows us and he knows what's good for us and that he's given the things, giving us the things that we need. And so the first thing to work on is being content with what God has given you. Thank him, first of all, thank him for what he has given you. And if you want something you don't have, pray and ask that he would give it to you, trusting that the answer might be no. It might be no, but then don't go off and worship other things and pursue those things and try and... I mean, you could imagine a couple in ancient Israel, having trouble having kids. Uh, they've been trying for years, haven't fallen pregnant. And that's hard. I know a number of people here have are going through that or have been through that. And it's hard to trust God in that situation. But it's really important to keep trusting God in that situation and not look, not look elsewhere. Because imagine being that couple and having a conversation about whether the husband should go down to Baal of Peor and visit the temple prostitutes. Maybe, maybe then we'd have a baby if we worship the... There's a temptation there to stop trusting God and, and start looking for other places to have. take things into our own hands. But Moses warns them and he warns us, don't worship anything that isn't God. Don't do it. In Matthew's gospel account, we have a, a remedy from Jesus on what to do. We, we read it earlier. Uh, a man approaches Jesus and asks Jesus, how can I have eternal life? And uh, Jesus tells him to follow the law that Moses has given, and the man says he's done that. But Jesus knows the man's heart. He can see that there's a hidden idol inside, something that's stopping this guy from worshipping God only. So he tells him, tells him this in Matthew 19 we read it before chapter 21 chapter 19 verse 21 Jesus says if you want to be perfect go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me when the young man heard this he went away sad because he had great wealth so the great advice here from Jesus is get rid of it get rid of it what what that idol is stamp it out And for this man, it was money. So Jesus tells him, get rid of it, give it away. And the man had to make a choice then, money or God, which one is he going to worship? And he chose money, it seems like. Now, there's some things we can't give away. I'm not going to, just because I idolize my family, I'm not going to dump them at a bus stop one day and (laughs) abandon them. Uh, So you've got to be careful. Uh, Can't just drop everything you idolize. But what I can do is work on putting less of my hopes and dreams into that thing. And so get rid, getting rid of the thing, it, not getting rid of your family or whatever it is, but um, yeah, working out what is it that actually is behind that, working on that. Maybe not quitting your job, but being happy, not being at the top of your field. Not having the greatest job in the industry, maybe happy be that. Keep do whatever it is. Help keep God the number one thing in your life. Even if it's drastic, even if it means giving away all your money, as Jesus said. Do it because God's more important. Here's some countercultural advice that might be helpful. Be content with being average. Be content with being average. You don't have to be great. We're told you do have to be great. At everything or something, but you don't. That's fine not to be. And look, there are things you might be just naturally talented at, and just happens that you're awesome at that thing, and that's fine. But often we're told, "No, no, no, you've got to, if you, you've got to be the best of the best." And so that should be your goal in life, apart from everything you know, put God second. We're got to be careful. We've got a God who loves us. We've got a God who wants us to follow Him. So don't get distracted. He's so good. He's so good to us. He's so kind and so generous. And often we take the things that He's given us and push Him to the side. But there comes a point where those other things draw you away from God. Like the rich man, you've got to make a choice. You don't want God to end up being number second, your second choice. And so Moses warns us, that's going to mean missing out. It's going to mean missing out on things. We have a similar warning in, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 in the New Testament. It says, those who practice idolatry won't, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Moses' warning for us and in Galatians, don't worship other things. Don't worship other things. That leads to death. It's true for Israel. It's true for us. We need to be really careful how tightly we hold onto the things of this world. Just like Israel, worshipping other idols leads to death. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the, um, this monkey trap. If you have a, there was a thing, I've, a few times I've heard this. If you have a monkey problem, um, you get a jar or a coconut or something hollowed out. And um, you tie it to a tree and you put something the banana, the, like a banana or something that the monkey wants in the jar. And the way it works is the monkey can get its hand in and out easily, no problems. But it puts its hand in and grabs onto the banana and then suddenly it's not, it, it's stuck. And I think I'm stuck too. <laughs> uh, and so, <laughs> uh, and what happens is the monkey's just stuck there. And tied to this tree, and it could easily let go and get its hand out and run off. But it doesn't. It stays there, holding, trying to get the banana out. And you can just walk up to the monkey and just catch it and kill it and eat it, if you want to. And it spends it's dying, (laughs) dying. The rest of it, the last few moments, is clinging onto that banana, even though it kills him. Even though it kills him. And we can be tempted to do the same thing we could be tempted there we go <laughs> we can be tempted to do the same thing obviously not a banana but other things just as silly in many ways things material things it looks so good and we hold on to it and we grab onto it and we don't want to let it go we become so fixated on it that we lose sight of the big picture we're not actually following Jesus anymore and we're just holding on to this thing And it kills us. Don't be like the monkey. (laughs) Let go. Let go of those things. Whatever that thing is, whatever that thing is that's getting in the way of you worshipping God 100%, get rid of it. Let go. Love it less. Love God more. How? To finish, here's three tips. Three tips of letting go of your idols. Firstly, increase your view of God. It could be that your view of God is too small. So one thing that can be helpful is to have a bigger view of God by remembering the things that he's done. That's what Moses does. He spends a bunch of time throughout Deuteronomy reminding them, recounting the incredible things that God has done for his people, reminds them increases their view of God so we can do that too remind yourself of the great things God has done hopefully the rest of this Deuteronomy series will do that but particularly the great things God has done for us in his son remind yourself of that secondly, remember who God is Moses reminds the people the character of God his patience with them, his mercy his justice, his goodness and so we can remember God's character that will help us let go of idols read the gospel accounts of Jesus' life Uh, Discover who Jesus is. If you've never done it before, Luke's gospel is a great place to start. You see a really clear picture of who God is and what he's like. This helps make any idol seem far less valuable compared to our great God. Uh, And thirdly, remember what God has given you. For Israel, it was the new land in Canaan that they were looking forward to. But for us, God has promised us a new creation that's going to be far better than Canaan, the promised land for Israel, far better Jesus says that in his father's house there are many rooms. He's gone there to prepare a place for us and we'll get to live with him there forever. With him. It's going to be so good. So remember what God has given you and help that to put things into perspective. The way to eternal life is to listen to God and worship him alone. Listen to God's word. Worship him alone as creator. Don't worship created things. Worship God. So that's the warning. That's the warning we've heard. Don't drop the ball. You're so close. Keep going. We've heard the warning, but we've also seen how great it is to follow God as his people. So keep going. We're so close. Keep trusting Jesus. Now, I thought we could finish by praying together the Lord's Prayer. Now, Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer as a prayer to his disciples. And what's great about the Lord's Prayer is... um, that it reorientates our vision back to God and back to what's important. It sees the world the way God does. Um, And so I think it's a great thing to pray. If If you want to just listen, that's fine too. But I thought, it's on the screen, thought it'd be a great way to finish and then by praying together, then we'll sing. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, may your name be holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. We have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.